This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health, a new, fully integrated biopharmaceutical solutions organization that's the result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health. Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com podcast. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is the 1st of August, it's Wednesday, and we're talking healthcare. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I'm joined by Fool.com contributor Todd Campbell via Skype. The Motley Fool is a data-driven company, and we love combing through our Google Analytics data to see what's getting the most traction on Fool.com. Lo and behold, week after week, articles about investing in marijuana make the top of the list. So given the hunger for content about weed, we figured we should give the subject some attention here on Industry Focus Healthcare. Something tells me that interest in the area is only going to increase from here. What do you think, Todd? I think so. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that the interest that we're seeing today is more for its use um, medicinally. But I think that, you know, for context, just to help our listeners, I, I was going through, Christine, just looking at some of the history of cannabis. And I came across some really some kind of little fascinating factoids that I felt like our listeners could share over cocktails with their friends this weekend and impress everybody. Let's hear them. All right. So did you know that they have found cannabis seeds in the graves of people in Siberia and Asia going back to 500 B.C.? I can't believe they last that long. Yeah, right. No, they didn't say what they did with the seeds once they found them. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously showing that the the seeds, cannabis seeds, were were very revered even as far back as that. But really, the industrial use of cannabis stretches even further back than that. They've they've found Chinese pottery that has impressions that were likely made by hemp rope, and hemp is also part of cannabis sativa, which is the plant responsible for marijuana. Uh, going back to 5,000 BC, so we're talking over 7,000 years of use, at least for from the industrial side of things. And you know, it's not just in Asia where there's a long history of using cannabis, Christine. We've also have a pretty long history of of using cannabis, specifically hemp, here in the United States too. Do you have a, a fun factoid for U.S. use? I do. <laughs> How did I know? <laughs> I certainly do. Absolutely. Matter of fact, did you know that the American colonists, when they, you know, obviously the immigrants from the United Kingdom, when they were sent over, um, the colonists were actually required to grow hemp on some of their farmland, and that was because hemp is can produce fibers that are incredibly strong and important for the use of of creating rope and sails. So a, a big driver of the economy, you know, being able to transport goods back and forth across the ocean. So I mean, going all the way back to the formation of our country, prior to the formation of our country, uh, we've been using cannabis in in for at least for industrial purposes. And actually, at one point, Christine, you could actually pay your tax bill in hemp. Seeds. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thomas Jefferson dedicated one acre of his quote unquote, best ground on his popular estate, uh, forest estate, to the to the production of hemp, actually. That is crazy. I had no idea any of those historical factoids. Yeah. So very long history. I mean, again, this is a healthcare show. So we're gonna be talking about, um, 
you know, tilting towards the use of it, you know, medicinally. Uh, but even there, there's there's a pretty long history. I mean, you you go back to the late 1800s, and it was incredibly common to just walk into a pharmacy uh, or a store and be able to buy uh, cannabis extracts for the use of treating stomach ailments all throughout the you know the late 1800s. So even given this tenured history, it seems like we are kind of hitting a tipping point now, or in the last few years at least, public support for marijuana, both from a medicinal perspective and a recreational perspective, is at an all-time high. Support for medical use in the United States is almost universal. Um, there's a recent poll that put that figure at 94% of Americans would support medicinal legalization of marijuana. And really, it's it's for use in fairly specific ways um, that's proven to people that it, it can actually do some good for uh, reasons that are so far away from uh, from the perception that I think people used to have of it being some hippie drug. But there's a, a genuine medical use for children with epilepsy and cancer patients with pain. And I think the increasing use of medical marijuana in these very legitimate ways has changed people's perceptions of it. And as support for medical marijuana grows, support for recreation seems to follow. In October 2017, a Gallup poll showed 64% of Americans supporting full legalization, and it crosses into both sides of the aisle, making it one of few issues that has majority support from both Democrats and Republicans. Right. I mean, it still remains illegal on a, on a federal level, but a lot of states now are, are waking up and listening to their constituents and passing laws that at least ease the way for, to, to gaining access uh, for its use medically. You know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence over the years. We go back, like I told you, back in the late 1800s, uh, there was anecdotal evidence that supported the use of it in stomach ailments. Um, obviously, anecdotal evidence has, has been out there for, for its use in, in treating cancer and pain. Um, and, you know, recently, what I'm sure we're going to talk about later in the show, there was a, an FDA approval, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago on, on, on our podcast, uh, of a drug for for use in epilepsy that's actually based on one of the chemical cannabinoids in marijuana. I think that that's one of the things that our listeners need to know. That you know what is what exactly is marijuana? Well, it's the dried flower from the female version, uh, female form of the cannabis sativa plant, um, and it's comprised of uh, uh, over a hundred different chemical cannabinoids. And the the two that are most prevalent are found most often within that flower are going to be THC. Uh, which is the one that's responsible for that euphoric high, and CBD, which is a, a non-psychoactive chemical cannabinoid, um, which has been you know, found anecdotally and now with this other drug that just got approved um, to be helpful in you know, treating patients with conditions such as epilepsy. And even though all of those cannabinoids are illegal in the United States at a federal level, there are legal and practical reasons why it's been left to states to determine whether they want to allow it. And as of today, medicinal use is legal in 30 states, including nine states in which recreational use is also approved. Right. Oklahoma just um, passed a medical marijuana bill in June that brought it to 30. Vermont, uh, their law for recreational just went into effect in July, which brought that total to nine. So still the minority for recreational use, um, but a, a just definitely a growing momentum nationwide to at least allow its use um, medically. In, in, in many cases, again, that's going to be for the use of CBD, high strains of marijuana, not high strains of THC, which 
again, that's the one that causes the high. I think one interesting case study is California, which was actually the first state to approve medicinal marijuana use back in 1996, but they just started recreational sales earlier this year, which I think was kind of surprising that other states beat them there as far as the timeline goes. But there is an enormous market in California, and so there's estimated to be an enormous number of sales, up to $7.6 billion by 2022, and that's up from uh, an estimated... 4.2 billion in marijuana sales last year. So growing from 4.2 billion last year to 7.6 in 2022, that is some pretty crazy growth and it's it's going to lead to pretty significant tax revenue as well, which is one of the biggest reasons why politically people are making the argument to the representatives that this is a good thing to do. Yeah, prior to the show I was talking to Matt Carnes over at Green Wave Advisors. And, you know, there's a lot of different uh, estimates that are out there about how big these markets could be. So listeners need to take it with a grain of salt and recognize that, you know, we, we it could be lower, it could be higher. Who knows how it will all play out? We do have some evidence. I'm sure we'll talk about Colorado in a second. Um, but, yeah, Greenway is saying $7.6 billion by 2022. And, you know, California is, is they're, they're the big kahuna. You know, 34% of the U.S. market share for marijuana sales is California. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that the Emerald Triangle in California is one of the largest producing areas or regions uh, in the country of marijuana. You mentioned Colorado. That's another huge market. Sales of marijuana there in 2017 topped $1.5 billion. And uh, fun factoid about Colorado, there are more marijuana dispensaries than Starbucks and McDonald's locations combined, which is just insane. Yeah, that'll impress friends over the weekend when you tell them that statistic, right? Yeah, write that one down. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Colorado and Washington, they became the first two states to fully legalize marijuana. They did that in 2012. California had been the first state to, to approve medicinal use of it. That happened back in 1996. But Colorado was a pioneer in the recreational market. I think one of the things that a lot of these states are looking at, Christine, one of the reasons that you know, you've got kind of across the aisle support for, late, for legalizing marijuana is that you know, it provides a lot of funding for these states' budgets. You know, if you just look at Colorado's experience, you know, they went from collecting $67 million in fees back in 2014 to so far, you know, in, in the six months of the fiscal year so far in, in, in 2000, sorry, calendar year in 2018, over $130 million. So, you know, their, their revenue from marijuana sales has grown, you know, just about doubled in the span of a few years in Colorado. Meanwhile, if you look internationally, the Cannabis Act, which regulated uh, recreational use of marijuana, was passed by the Canadian Senate on June 21st of this year. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau expects that consumption will begin on October 17th. So that's coming up very quickly. This is noteworthy because Canada is the first major country to take this step of fully uh, legalizing marijuana. Um, There's actually one other country in the world uh, that beat them to it, and that is Uruguay. Then over in Europe, you have a large growing market in Germany, which legalized medicinal marijuana back in March of 2017. And many suppliers already have a presence in Germany via their partnerships and their acquisitions. So people are definitely keeping an eye on Europe, in particular Germany. There's also a huge market in Australia where medical marijuana has been legal for two years and possession is mostly decriminalized. So there are places all over the world that are embracing marijuana increasingly. 
Yeah, Christina, as I was going through, I found at least 20, at least 26 countries that either have lax laws when it comes to marijuana, meaning it's decriminalized, um, or, or they outright say it's okay to possess uh, limited amounts of it. Um, I think some of the things that obviously you mentioned Canada, Canada is with by far the most progressive. You know, they've had that recreational market nationally, open nationally for years. It's a really, it's the biggest, I guess, legal market out there. Uh, as far as countries go, and it's going to go only bigger as we go later into the year. Um, I would also be keeping an eye on a couple other countries, too. I'd, I'd keep an eye on Mexico uh, because it's it's still legal in Mexico. But, you know, you, um, there has been some chatter with a new administration that got elected there um, to at least consider uh, medicinal use, approving medicinal use. I'd also keep a look at um, keep an eye on Great Britain because Great Britain has some of the strictest uh, marijuana laws out there. But they recently ordered a review of their uh, approach to medicinal marijuana uh, following kind of a, a, an, an event, I guess I will call it, back in June where marijuana was seized from a boy who was using it to treat epilepsy who was then later hospitalized because of seizures. So they're, they're reviewing their approach to it. So, yeah, I think that this is a global push towards legalizing marijuana. And I think that that's why so many of our listeners and so many of the visitors to fool.com are interested in learning more about it and finding out whether or not there are investment opportunities they can take advantage of. And we will be right back with some specific ways that you can invest in the marijuana industry after a quick message from our sponsor. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Cineos Health. Bringing a new drug to market is getting tougher and tougher. At Cineos Health, they're changing the game. As a result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, they have created a unique business model that allows clinical and commercial disciplines to work together, eliminating traditional process obstacles and delivering something they call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Helping their customers accelerate the delivery of important therapies to patients, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit CineosHealth.com podcast. It's clear we have a big trend here worldwide as demand for and legalization of marijuana grows. So it's no surprise that many investors are looking to profit off of the marijuana industry. One of the most obvious ways to play this trend is by investing in the producers that actually grow the plant. Yeah, there, and there, you know, there, there's some caveats there. We were going to spend a lot of time talking about the Canadian producers because, again, the U.S. market is fragmented, highly fragmented, because not all the states have legalized it yet, and it still remains illegal on a federal level, which does also creates all sorts of problems with trying to do cross-border transactions, so doing business in one state versus another state that has different laws. Um, there's banking regulations that kind of limit the ability to use you know, traditional services that we would you know, just think would be commonplace basically in any company today. Uh, a retail store today, regardless of whether it's marijuana or not. Uh, and there's some tax implications that kind of like ham hamstringing the ability for these companies to, to grow. I mean, you can't deduct basic business expenses against the revenue because of the way it's scheduled here in the United States. So yes, the growers in Canada are probably the best places to focus there. We are indeed talking about what could be a massive market here. And with the momentum, theoretically, for legalizing it um, state by state by state, you know, you could be talking about tens of billions of dollars in market opportunity, according to Greenwave Advisors, if at least medical marijuana gets passed um, by 2021, then you could see U.S. Uh, retail sales of marijuana as high as $35 billion by 2022. So you're talking about a very significant market that 
you know, who knows, maybe someday could rival the size of the tobacco or the spirits and beer and wine markets. And if you're looking for some specific names of Canadian growers, Canopy Growth Corporation is the largest by market cap. We did an interview with Bruce Linton, who is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of the company back in November 2017. Canopy has 2.4 million square feet of growing capacity, which is triple what it had when it entered the year, which is crazy growth. They have plans for 5.7 million square feet over time. And they can produce an estimated 500 kilograms of marijuana, which is pretty substantial. There's also yeah, 500,000, Christine. 500, sorry, 000 yes, yeah, <laughs> I missed. Huge, I missed my second K. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aurora yeah. Cannabis is another big name in the space. They acquired an, another company that used to be huge, and now the combination is even huger. That one was Med Relief. The acquisition was back in July. Um, they have a 570,000 kilogram capacity. Uh, one of the other big guys is Afira. They're at 230,000 kilograms in capacity. So uh, quite a handful of different players here that are all duking it out to increase their production capabilities as quickly as possible. Right. Only one of them, Christine, is uh, traded on the New York Stock Exchange, though, and that may you know, give people a little bit more confidence because obviously they have to uh, file in accordance with SEC regulations. That would be Canopy, symbol there, CGC. Um, Canopy Growth Corporation. And, you know, that's that's a very intriguing company. I recommend that every listener go back in the Wayback Machine or reach out to us so that we can send you a copy of that interview that Christine did um, with their CEO. It was just a fascinating discussion of, of where the global market for marijuana could be. One of the things that's really interesting, too, about Can Canopy is that they're focusing significant um, resources on, you know, studying the use of these drugs medicinally. So not only are they just looking to to take all this production and get it out there onto dispensary shelves, they're also spending the time and effort of enrolling patients in clinically controlled trials to see if they can prove out um, kind of that anecdotal evidence we were talking about earlier about the the, the, the value of these medicines. Which suggests another way to play this trend, which is investing in the biotechs that are looking into uses of marijuana in a medicinal realm. One of them that we've mentioned on the show many times is GW Pharmaceuticals, ticker GWPH. We were just talking about them on July 18th of this year, talking about how a PDLX was FDA approved for certain types of epilepsy. Another big name out there that you might want to take a look at is called Incess. Um, this stock has struggled quite a bit. There's down 85% from their 2015 highs. Um, they're not a marijuana pure play. They uh, actually have their primary drug uh, is Subsys, which is a pain medication. And there have been all sorts of allegations of illegal marketing and other struggles for the drug. Uh, they have a synthetic THC drug called Syndros, which is a treatment for chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting and also anorexia associated with AIDS. That was approved last July and essentially has flopped commercially. Um, they have another cannabidiol drug in phase two. So there are some interesting marijuana-related things to watch with INSYS, but personally, I'm, I'm not interested from an investing standpoint just because of all of their struggles. It's not really clear to me whether they'll be able to write their ship anytime soon. Yeah, there's a lot of there's new management there, um, but there's still an overhang of of lawsuits and regulatory slaps on the wrists and stuff that we have to work our way through. I mean, I would say of all the you know the pure biotech plays, GD Pharmaceuticals would probably be the best one to approach that way. 
Yep. And then there are less obvious ways of playing this market as well. For example, Scott's Miracle Grow. With the fertilizer company, they actually have a tiny little part of their business model that is related to marijuana, and that's hydroponics, which they do through their Hawthorne brand. Growth has been kind of slow. Um, if you back out acquisitions, and uh, their sales were actually down 30% in the last quarter year over year. But it's not an insubstantial part of their business. They they do a couple hundred million in sales. Yeah, I think that the they just reported actually their quarterly results last night. Um, and I haven't had a chance to go fully through them, but it looks like sales are clocking in at about 74 million, million last quarter. So it gives you about a 300 million run rate. They were pretty early on in recognizing, I guess, that the momentum was building to legalize throughout the U.S. So they went out uh, beginning about three years ago and started acquiring all sorts of companies to put them together into this Hawthorne brand. Um, no uh, word yet on whether or not they plan to IPO that or spin that off somehow to investors someday. But, you know, I could see that happening down the road. And, you know, while business is slowing right now, and we'll talk about overcapacity in, in, a, in a minute, I'm sure, uh, and some of the risks, you know, there's certainly a possible that we overreact the other way and that, you know, we start as more states, you know, start to ramp up, uh, demand comes back for Hawthorne. One other less obvious way to play this industry that investors should consider is Constellation Brands. They're an alcohol maker, but they actually own 10% of Canopy. Um, The market for pot in Canada could already exceed the beer market. Um, This is something that I think the alcohol makers are really starting to see. Um, Molson Coors is forming a joint venture with a Canadian cannabis producer. What both Constellation and Molson with this new joint venture are looking to do is develop cannabis-infused beverages for the Canadian market. So kind of an interesting, who would have thought of that way to get involved? Right. You know, and this is, I believe, Constellation's the brand behind um, Corona. Uh, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. But yeah, just a, a, a massive company. They have big beer and wine uh, business. And, you know, they're looking out ahead and they're saying, you know what? Wow. CIBC World Markets is, is saying that, you know, pot sales could exceed beer sales uh, at their peak in Canada. We should probably have some exposure to that so that we can take advantage of it. And like you said, uh, as a 10 percent owner, roughly of Canopy Growth, you know, they're able to share now all their know-how as far as marketing is concerned and distribution. And hopefully, you know, that helps Canopy Growth establish a foothold, maybe a leadership in the Canadian market. And if you put together everything that we've just listed as a potential investment idea and you think to yourself, huh, I see the tailwind and I don't want to pick an individual stock to play this market, you can always go the ETF route. There is an ETF called the ETFMG Alternative Harvest ETF. Their ticker is MJ, and they were the first marijuana-focused ETF listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Right. And, you know, their expense ratio is higher than, say, if you went out and bought the S&P 500. Obviously, you know, over time, you know, we've learned that lower expense uh, investments tend to generate, you know, greater wealth for investors. But still at 0.75, it's not ridiculous. Um, It tracks an index um, called the Prime Alternative Harvest Index. It comprises 30 different stocks and it uses what's called a modified market cap weight. So, you know, it, it will take a look at you know, the quarterly rebalance of the underlying index, and then maybe it'll make some adjustments to make sure that it's not too, too overweight in any one particular stock. That being said, uh, despite, you know, 30 stocks being in the index, 10 of them 
um, represent about 43% of the fund's assets. So <laughs> you're a little bit consolidated, obviously, in the, in the biggest players. Yeah, if you think that we were generous in what we considered marijuana stocks, these guys had to work to come up with 30 stocks that are even tangentially related to marijuana. In addition to Scott's being in the index, they also have Philip Morris, which they don't derive any revenue from marijuana that I know of. But because they make cigarette filters, I think is specifically what qualifies them for the index. So, uh, just kind of an interesting index to look into, even if that 0.75% expense ratio makes you nervous, which it should. <laughs> but the, um, they're heavily exposed to Canada. Uh, they also have a lot of uh, American companies, and they even have 9% in UK companies. So, take a look at what's in that basket. might give you some more stock ideas. Yeah, there's about 300 million, I think, in assets in that. You know, But I, I think that you know the investors probably are going to be one of just... Again, we're we're talking out laying out kind of a bullish theme for this, Christine. But there are some threats and some risks that you know people should be aware of. And namely, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in Washington D.C. Uh, whether or not you know we could see some sort of a crackdown on what's going on in the individual states that could hamper the growth of this market. Um, so I think that you know a little bit of caution is warranted. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the the sentiment in Washington, it's certainly not terribly positive for the marijuana industry. Attorney General Jeff Sessions has been very actively opposed to marijuana, um, as indicated by many words and also some actions, such as rescinding the coal memo, which basically meant that the federal government would be hands-off when it comes to the state's decisions to regulate marijuana. And so rescinding that opened the door for state-level prosecutors to use their discretion, whether they wanted to levy charges against marijuana businesses. In practice, this is not a huge change for anything. But it does indicate sentiment. And so there that is a bit of an overhanging question mark, particularly in the United States markets. There are plenty of other uh, risks that apply internationally as well, such as the threat from the black market. So we mentioned earlier that marijuana sales are a great way to generate tax revenue. Well, that does end up making marijuana more expensive than it would be on the black market where it's not taxed. Absolutely. And, you know, I think over time, I mean, most of the people who most of the market will kind of disappear. We don't buy our our, our alcohol. Or at least I, don't, I don't buy medicine jars off the back of a truck anymore for my for my weekend uh, beer. Um, you know, I go to the store, even though I'm paying a little bit more maybe than I could get otherwise. Maybe that'll happen with marijuana as it evolves as well. Um, the other risk probably, Christine, to mention is just the risk of uh, price compression that these or, or a price war between some of these producers and distributors because we are, you know, it's called weed for a reason. <laughs> it grows, it grows really easy. And uh, what we've seen is is a lot of investment in production that's kind of boosting capacity. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of price compression in the per pound um, rates. And you know, if that trickles through and and creates some um, price cuts at the, at the consumer level, that's great for you know we consumers, but may not be so great for the companies that are actually manufacturing and selling this stuff. Right. There is a lot of competition here. And each of these major growers in Canada is racing to try to expand their production capabilities. And 
that currently, if you add up the numbers, their ability to produce will be pretty significantly higher than what the projected demand in Canada is going to be anytime soon. But if you think about that big picture, I don't see that as much of a problem because we're long-term investors. We know that this industry is only expanding. Plus, you are able to, as a Canadian producer, supply countries outside of Canada. So once you add in the expected demand based on all of the other countries that have active medical marijuana laws, add in all of the countries that are on track to legalize medical marijuana soon, you end up with very sizable demand that shouldn't be any sort of concern for those that look at the supply numbers and note that they're much higher than the current demand for Canadian marijuana. Yeah, and that's another reason not to be so concerned about the crazy valuation of these stocks, right? I mean, this is not an industry that a value investor is going to approach. Uh, These companies are still generating very inconsistent um, financial results. I mean, the revenue is growing gangbusters, right? But the um, the profitability is all over the map, um, and and I would expect losses for most of these companies as they continue to invest until they reach that kind of sweet spot uh, of uh, of demand. Uh, who knows how quickly that happens in Canada? Um, but you know, we should have more insight, obviously, in the next twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, this industry is so nascent that it's even hard to come up with a valuation for a lot of these companies. So just remember, as you're looking for investment ideas here, that you're investing in a trend. Uh, And so when you look to invest in some companies, maybe make your own basket, maybe consider that ETF. But do know that you're you're not going to find any value bargains here, but it might still be worth taking a look anyway. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! These days, bringing a new drug to life is getting tougher and tougher. It can take billions of dollars and a decade or more to bring an experimental drug from molecule to market. And only one in five marketed drugs ever achieve revenues that match or exceed R&D costs. At Cineos Health, we're working to improve the odds. The result of a merger between INC Research and Inventive Health, Cineos Health is the only company purpose-built to create what we call biopharmaceutical acceleration. Our unique business model allows the clinical and commercial disciplines to work together from the start, sharing critical data, insights, and knowledge. The Cineos Health approach creates success by eliminating traditional obstacles and smoothing the process at every step along the way, from clinical trials to FDA approval, branding and marketing to patient adherence. Every day, Cineos Health is focused on a simple end goal, shortening the distance from lab to life. To learn more, visit sinioshealth.com slash podcast.